Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. How do we get increasingly better at freeing our time? And the way we do that is through things like smarter systems. Another way in the business world would be called operational efficiency It's taking small steps today that will free our time far into the future. That's Jenny Blake, today's guest, who in this episode shares some of those steps you can take to free up your time. Who doesn't want more free time? Jenny spent five years working at Google in coaching and career development before pivoting herself to becoming a location-independent entrepreneur and utilizing her skill set to serve others who want to make changes in their lives that give them more freedom. And you'll hear plenty of advice around that today and much more. And it's happening in this episode right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Happy New Year. Of course, the new year, a time when we consider making changes in our lives, how we might want to free up our time, all of these big questions. And we might be considering making a pivot in life, making a big change to something else. And that's why I brought one of the leading experts out there on this topic, Jenny Blake, who is a podcaster and author of three award-winning books, including Pivot and Free Time. And she also writes a couple of newsletters, one called Time Well Spent, We'll link up to all of it in the show notes, and I want to, on the back end of this interview, give a shout out to a listener whose story really illustrates why everything you hear today is so important to keep in mind for the lifelong travel lover. Hint, that's you. (laughs) So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jenny. Please enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Thanks for listening. It's nice to hear your voice. I don't think I've yeah. heard your voice since 2012 or 2011. Was that the first WDS at the conference? That's where I met you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Such a throwback. I know. I was first there at the first one, 2011, and I went in 2012. And then 
pretty sure that was the last one I did. Have you been going ever since? Yeah, no. Well, I went in 2011 and that was a game changer. And then I went two years later and then I went to the 10th one, which was the last one. Oh, we're talking about a, uh, yeah, we're talking about a conference that we tended to call the world domination summit. If anybody's listening, they're like, what are they talking about? Uh, (laughs) but, uh, that first one was pretty magical. That was the first time I, I kind of got into a room full of people where, I saw what people like you and and just a bunch of people I met were doing with, with these, I, I guess if you want to put a term on it, like a heart-based business or like just being their authentic selves, but building some kind of career around it. And then it was like, bam, bam, the light bulbs just went off. And I'm just like, oh, this is, yeah, this is the thing. This is happening. <laughs> yeah. It's so energizing. The first time I felt what you just described in a long time was recently getting on Substack. I just moved all of my lists over. So three different newsletters. And then at the last minute, I got invited to a Substack meetup in New York. I mean, writers at the intersection of new technology. I was so happy. I sprinted out of the house to go to this thing because I feel like there was so much enthusiasm and energy amongst people who kind of needed to figure out what the heck blogging was and how to set one up. And then with social media, every single person became a microblogger. And I felt some of that sense of community drop away. There was just more happening online. I stopped my social activity a long time ago, almost a decade now. I really stopped being active there. And now finally, I have the sense of it returning on Substack, mostly because there's such an emphasis on kind of writing and craft and quality. And yeah, I I miss those. And it it just reminds me because I'm reconnecting with some people from those really early days. And even like you now is awesome. Yeah. Well, I should formally say, Jenny Blake, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. This has been a long time coming. You're into astrology and you're a Libra and I'm a Sagittarius. So I was wondering if you could tell me what kind of conversation we're going to have today. Wow. Okay. I'm bringing the air, which is air molecules move quickly. We're writers, thinkers. You got that fire sign. Some of my favorite people in my life are Sagittarians. So many of my best friends and family members I'm close to are Sagittarians. And so, you know, they're all about exploration, long distance travel, adventure. I feel like Sag is a really fun sign. Do you happen to know your moon and your rising as well? You know, do you know Emily Wapnick? I know of her. We haven't connected too much, but she's great. Okay. Yeah. So she's a good friend of mine and she's in into astrology. She studied it. She's even started giving readings and stuff. And she actually gave me all that stuff, but I need to dig it. I don't have it on the tip of my tongue. I need to be able to do Well, What do you like about astrology? What does it do for you personally? Well, I got really into it in maybe 2015. I went down a complete rabbit hole. The readings that I had, maybe 2013 is when it started. The readings I had just illuminated parts of my personality that no one had put words to before. And it fascinated me that it was coming from somebody who didn't know me at all, was just looking at my birth chart, which is the way the planets were aligned at the moment you took your first breath. So it's kind of an energetic imprint of your personality and what you're here to do. And the reason I mentioned the moon and rising is because we can learn about ourselves through our sun sign, the primary part of our personality, but your moon is your inner world, your feelings, your emotions, how you recharge, and your rising is who you're becoming. So it starts to get really interesting when you realize, like in my case, okay, I'm a Libra sun, Scorpio moon, so water sign, a bit private, feel things really intensely, and Virgo rising, system, structure, and service. And that Virgo element is present in everything I do. 
even the new body of work free time is all about systems and organizational efficiency. And I have color-coded bookshelves. And so I wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to describe that completely through the lens of a Libra. So I feel like it just gives us archetypes and language. And in my case, it's always been spot on. I'm not as obsessed with it now as far as on a day-to-day basis, like, oh, the moon is this. And so I'm feeling that. I'm not that. (laughs) At one time, I was really into it in that way. But I do think as far as personality and sparking conversations and sparking insights and exploration about yourself and what you're here to do, it's incredible. It's a great tool. Yeah, there there is something fascinating to me about, you know, and everybody does their own version of this, but when you take something like astrology or a beautiful song or anything and it exists, but then you can interpret it in different ways or somebody, how somebody else interprets it, it's not going to be the same as you. And it means whatever it means to you in that moment in time and that moment in your life. Ah, Something about that, those works of arts or those, those things that just you put out there, whether it's a piece of writing or anything and, and that, how those multiple interpretations can occur. I just, I don't know. I love that about things that you find on earth. <laughs> totally. Yes. And then I love them all. I feel like get your numerology done, get an astrology reading of your natal chart, do the Enneagram, like do strengths or Gallup's Clifton strengths. They've renamed it. But I mean, they all give you little clues. And I do think that they all, it's more interesting than when you can also look for themes, what's showing up repeatedly across different types of personality assessments and and then in, in doing that, you kind of get language to describe yourself or what you're here to do. And also, you can kind of, I don't know, put the, like, I, I just find them so fascinating and helpful. I'm, like, I'm not putting words to it very well. But that your intuition, that's what I'm trying to say, like, one's own intuition also starts to see, okay, what's jumping out, even within a reading with another person, they might say things and you, you yes, and you're like, yes, that's totally me. And this, 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 and then they bounce off of that. And it's just really energizing. Okay. Well, you're a wealth of knowledge. We're gonna, we, we have a lot to talk about. I should mention you because one of the common themes on this show is people making a transition to travel and of course, changing your life around in any way, whether it's changing a career or completely changing your lifestyle. It requires pivoting. It requires time management. I know you have the free time framework. It intersects with a lot of what you do. You started your own location-independent small business in 2011. So you're one of the OGs out there. And I wanted to say thanks to you, actually, Jenny, because I don't know if you remember this, but after we first met at that conference, you had some... I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was something on Life After College, your, the, the website you've had for a long time, the, the resource for um, Life After College, of course, or um, something else. But I, I think I wrote something for you or did something and you thought it was good and you were going to use it. I can't remember what it was for. Maybe it was a course you were making or something. But anyway, it was just like probably a small thing for you. But for me, I was like, oh my God, there's somebody that's doing this amazing work that actually, it was validating. You know, I felt like, oh, I could, I can produce something and I can kind of like walk in this circle. And anyway, so thank you for that. that. (laughs) Yeah, you're so welcome. I know that feeling. It's like, it is helpful because a lot of this feels especially in the early days, there wasn't as many people talking about it, blogging about it, exactly breaking down how to do it. And there certainly weren't people in the rest of my life who were saying, yeah, go for it, quit your job. That's a great idea. (laughs) I think they just thought it was really, really stupid. 
But I just like you described for me, which I'm honored to have played that part, um, Charlie Gilkey and Pam Slim were at that first WDS. And I asked them, am I crazy to leave my job? I'd been working at Google for five years. And they said, Jenny, you would be crazy not to. <laughs> just needed to hear that. Yeah. Well, you won't hear that from many people coming from a company like Google, you know? <laughs> well, I also had a mentor who was coaching on the outside. She was running her own business. And when I told her I was thinking of leaving, she said, oh, well, could you put my resume in for your job? And that really um, kind of got, gave me a sick feeling in my stomach because I thought, this is a mentor who's doing what I want to do on the outside, and now she wants my job? Like, that doesn't bode very well for <laughs> what life will be like, or that maybe I shouldn't give up this thing I have that even she wishes she was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That That's a little scary, but... Yeah, did not inspire confidence. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about that. There is something about acting in spite of your fear. How do you do that personally when you're doubting something or you have, you know, say you're launching something new and you're not sure if it's going to work or, you know, no matter where you are in business or life, you have those moments. It never worked for me to like banish my fear, crush my fear. You know, there's a lot of a kind of aggressive language about fear. Most recently, launching the Substack, I had a lot of insecurities. The new one is called Rolling in Dough, D-O-H, Divine Disaster Diaries from a Breadwinning Business Owner Living in New York City. And so it's my most vulnerable writing that I've done in 15 years. And it's challenging because I'm challenging myself to a new format and also to share things about running my business that I might otherwise not want to share because I don't want to turn off future clients or become a self-fulfilling prophecy if I share everything that's going wrong. Well, then even fewer people will want to hire me. And it was sparked because I lost one of my biggest clients. And so my confidence had already taken a hit, but I didn't know how to process it. And I should say one of my biggest corporate licensing clients. So it represented a lot of money for me. And two days later, another proposal that had been out for a year to a big brand company, they said they're going with another vendor. So within a week, this is in 2023, within a week, at least 150K was wiped off the table not to mention in March 2020, when I lost 80% of my income and six figures all in the span of two weeks. So it was the second time that such a shocking blow had happened. And all I could think to do was write. And yet I was completely overcome by fear and insecurity when I would think about hitting publish. So the little reminder I kept telling myself is 5149. I don't need to be fully confident. I just need to take one small action so that I tip the scales toward action by 51%. And 49% of me can still be nervous, afraid, insecure, worried, and the rest. But as long as I keep that 51-49 ratio, I will keep moving forward. I found it more helpful to schedule posts to go live in advance so that the harder thing to do would be unscheduling them rather than having to muster the courage over and over leading up to whatever day I wanted it to go live. And so that's what's been working for me. It's 51-49. I love that. It takes the pressure off of having to, yeah, I'm a visual person, so I can kind of visualize that scale. And, and it just, it seems like, oh, okay, I could just put my toe on that other scale. And as long as I can do that, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be good. How about you? What's what, what's working for you in terms of getting over the you fear know, I don't know. Yeah, you Yeah, you mentioned the the kind of fear crushing mentality and the, the aggro language around that. That's not really how I approach things either. I think it's just methodically pushing forward. You know, what helps me the most is focusing on 
everybody else that may be impacted by whatever it is I create, you know, because you can get so into your head, but if you don't put things out there, you're not really helping or serving anybody. So then that's, that, that's what helps me put my toe over the line, so to speak. You went location independent for some reasons, I'm sure. Was travel one of those reasons? Well, we should say, I mean, at that time I was single and so it was easier to be location independent. Like I'm definitely not location independent now because I have a four-year-old German shepherd. I own our place in New York City, which was a lifelong dream of mine. So, but at that time I was single. Location independence was not the driving goal. For me, the driving goal was creative freedom, the ability to have autonomy over my time and my projects to do less. I was really burning out in the corporate environment and I had so many emails and meetings and I felt like I was only operating at my best, maybe 20 or 30% of the time. And so I finally felt like, okay, I have six months of savings. I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try to do my own thing. And if I hate it or I fail at it or I don't earn a dime, I'll go find another job. And thankfully we're here 12 and a half years later and I have come close to probably needing to go find another job, but I haven't yet. And then with that came the location independence, which then did allow me to go, of course, like so many digital nomads, go to Southeast Asia. I spent a lot of time in a couple trips in Bali where I had a friend staying and in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And even to this day, I think what I appreciate about a location independent business, even if in my personal life, I'm less location independent, is the ability to go be there for family. Like maybe a family member is getting an operation and I need to just kind of pick up and go work from wherever they live for two weeks. I really value that kind of flexibility, even if it's not in the extravagant travel adventure sense right now for the phase I'm in now, it does allow me to work from anywhere, pack my podcast mic and have more flexibility in how I can show up for people in my life, even if it's not around the world ticket. I love that. It's definitely a lifestyle that adapts with you as your lifestyle changes and your commitments change. I don't want to make you brag about yourself, but I'm going to anyway, (laughs) because we mentioned your wealth of experience. And I just, before we kind of get your advice on pivoting and and some of the free time frameworks and and everything, can you just kind of share your experience? I mean, you've been running these businesses, lifeaftercollege.org, for example, 17 years, sounds like helping, helping people with simple practical tips to focus on the big picture of their lives. You have all your consulting stuff. You've been doing this for yourself, but also helping thousands of people at the same time. So you have a really broad view of what works and what doesn't. I guess so. I mean, some ways I feel like I just learn less every year. (laughs) You're hitting me in a moment where I don't know. I don't know which end is up. I just follow my heart. I follow what I feel my soul is calling me to do. And I appreciate what you're saying, and I do feel very strongly to be of service. It's all under one business, so it's not like I'm running multiple different businesses. The way I describe it now is a delightfully tiny media company, and Life After College kind of rolls into Pivot. So my two main skis of the business now are expressed through Pivot. There's a newsletter and a podcast, free time, newsletter and a podcast. Oh, and each one has a book. And then Rolling in Dough is the new one on personal essays for business and for business owners. But it all kind of rolls up to one-to-many communication. And so my work over time has been 
trying to experiment. And certainly there are things I did for 10 years, like one-on-one coaching that I really loved. And it was the steadiest bridge income in my business. And then at a certain point, I realized, okay, I'm ready to stop doing these in one-on-one settings and put that hour into creating a podcast episode that, as you said, could go out to a thousand people or live as an artifact in the archives publicly so that other people can benefit. And I've dabbled with things like corporate licensing and certain streams are passive, but I don't have to tell you, Jason, that not many truly are. (laughs) So for me, it's just an ongoing set of experiments. And I change, my interests change, the market changes, the software changes, what people are looking for changes, the saturation of any given format evolves. So for me, it's like there is no there there of having it figured out, at least in terms of my business model. It's always tuning in a little bit and I'm tuning into myself, to my community and to the market. And these last few years have really been a redirection for me, kind of saying, okay, this old stuff is no longer in flow. What can you double down on? What is what's next look like? And then trying to figure out, okay, how do I make that work? And so I guess I just share that for anyone listening to say, it's okay if you don't have it all figured out. And sometimes you try on a business model that it seems like everyone else is doing online. Like you can become a millionaire or a billionaire running digital courses. And in my experience, like I, I love creating content. I like, I like facilitating courses. I hate the launch model. I hate trying to fill courses. I don't enjoy it. And uh, I, I just learned pretty early on, I don't want that to be my business model, even though it's kind of proposed as the panacea of online business. Oh, it's easy. You just create a digital course and then you have seven-figure recurring revenue. Maybe, but maybe a lot of investment goes in and then it's hard to update the videos when they get out of date. And then if you do need to update, well, you were five years younger the last time you filmed those, (laughs) or the content gets out of date, or you saturate your list. And so that business model is actually a list growing business model, not a course facilitating business model. And sometimes you just don't know these things until you try it and figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And that's really been my journey. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. 
This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Well, Pivot, of course, the website, Pivot Method, and then you have the book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is your next one. And I love the tagline, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. You know, this is really at the heart of one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on to, for you to share some advice with the listeners here on pivoting, which is something we all have to do at some point. Like that's a guarantee <laughs> in life, right? I feel. And so where we can start, I suppose, you know, wh why are they necessary? How do, how do you identify when you need to make a pivot? I have a lot of follow-up questions here, but I mean, you'd probably know better than me where to start this conversation. I think ultimately, just looking for some frameworks and advice on how to manage these pivots into whatever it is somebody wants to do next. Well, we've all gotten a front row seat, or as I like to say, a black belt in pivoting these last few years. So the book came out in 2016. I started working on it in 2013. And my core question was, we hear so much about startups pivoting. Of course, there's the book, The Lean Startup. What about people? How do we become? And specifically, I kept feeling like I was losing my mind having existential crises every two years and that either there was something very wrong with me and I was destined not to be happy in my career or I had a second hypothesis that maybe the way the economy is working, things are the rate of pivoting, the rate of change is accelerating. And if that's the case, how do we get better at it? And so that is the crux of the pivot method, which is a four-stage process for mapping what's next. And the better you get at that, the pivots become less dramatic and less sharp because you're in a continual process of plant, that's the first stage, doubling down on what's working while setting a vision for one year out, doesn't need to be any farther than that, scanning for people, skills, and projects related to your strengths and your vision, Piloting is my favorite stage of the pivot process. That's about running small experiments to help you test three E's. Do you enjoy this area? Can you become an expert at it? And is there room to expand either in your business, in the market? And then you could just do that over and over. Plant, scan, pilot, plant, scan, pilot. Sometimes more dramatic moves are needed and you do the fourth stage launch. So that is the moment of quitting a full-time job and renting your house or selling your house, you know, or putting all your stuff in storage and traveling the world. So that's a launch moment. But the more that we are piloting in our own lives, and I even do feature a story on travel pilots in Pivot, 
For example, I stayed in New York for a week at many points when I worked at Google. And then my friend and I stayed for a month. Do we like it? Is it still feeling really hectic if we're here for a month? Are we exhausted or are we energized? And that's what gave me the confidence to ultimately move to New York in the fall of 2011. And I've been here ever since. So you can run travel pilots, you can run business pilots, you can pilot how you serve your clients differently. And that is what does create more of a sense of anti-fragility, is the term from Nassim Taleb, where we actually gain from disorder. So things like when the pandemic hit, I mean, pivot became the word of 2020, where people were just talking about restaurants pivoting and businesses and people It's like nobody was immune. And what was so interesting was just that the entire world was confronted with how do we deal with change on a daily basis and so much uncertainty about the future all at the same time. I would say one of the overarching themes that permeates all of those stages you just laid out is self-assessment and figuring out what is, you know, what are our values? What are the things that we want? How do these things we're laying out in, in this system or any system, how do they align with our our values? And I, I was just wondering, in terms of self-assessment, how do we do that? How should one assess themselves? We're often our own worst critics, right? It's, it's a difficult thing to do. I think it's easier to take a personality test or something like that and have the test, the thing, tell us who we are. And then we can kind of cherry pick from that description or you know, whatever things we want to maybe improve at. And maybe that's a part of the the process. I don't know. But at some point, I feel like there's some inner reflection. Do you have a process for that? One of my favorites is very simple. You can just have a piece of paper at your desk. I know people barely use paper anymore. But just track in in a course of two weeks, what types of activities, meetings, tasks are draining you the most, and which ones are energizing you the most. My friend Josh calls them energizers and drainers. One person I know I heard on a podcast, he even color codes his calendar. After the day is over, he will mark meetings red if they drained him, orange if it was neutral, and green if it energized him. So there are ways to kind of audit how you're spending your time and to just understand what is energizing me most and how can you do more of that. So it's not always, pivots don't always happen all at once and neither does self-awareness just want to look for those clues of what are you most excited about? What do people thank you for most often? What do people come to you advice for most frequently? Of course, the self-assessment piece that we talked about. And then you're just, you know, the vision piece is that even if you don't have all the answers, imagine what your ideal day would look like one year from now or six months from now, if you need to make some moves a little quicker. And just picturing yourself, what types of projects are you working on? What types of people are you surrounded by? Even how you described your experience at WDS of how energizing it was for you to be surrounded by these types of people talking about these types of topics. And I feel like for you, Jason, it just, and for me as well, but it gives you such a vision, such a compelling magnet toward the future that then it becomes a little easier to fill in the blanks for scanning and piloting. And even scanning and piloting looking for people, skills, and projects. Like, what do you need to learn to reach that vision? Who could you talk to? Who's already doing what you want to do? Maybe you're learning from people from afar. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm sure we've all taken inspiration from Tim Ferriss without knowing him personally on a lot of these topics. And then pilots are saying, I still don't have all the answers about who I am or what I'm meant to do, 
but I'm going to line up a few concurrent experiments. And then the experiments start to give you a sense of which ones take on the most traction and which ones have the most energy and which ones are kind of falling flat. So even by that stage, you still don't have to have the answers. The whole thing is meant to kind of take the pressure off because I felt like there was so much pressure. I was doing a lot of career development work within Google and then even outside of it. And I felt like people were really getting constricted by how much pressure they were having to know the answers, to have their paper figured out up front before they made any moves. And in my experience, it just doesn't work like that. Hearing you describe the stages as I was thinking about these, you know, one of the one of the words I wanted to discuss is intuition and how this plays into your work or to to what you teach other people or guide them through with the system. And I look at the stages and I think about the pilot stage and I feel like that's the one where that you might have the biggest battle between the practical mind and maybe the in- intuitive part of you, the soul, whatever you want to call it. And I, I don't know about you, Jenny, this, this battle can rage on uh, depending on <laughs> what's going on in my life. And the challenge has always been figuring out how to listen to the intuition, but also trying to balance the practical stuff and and make the smart decisions, which, you know, practically speaking, you have infinite amount of research you could do. So it really could never end. So it's that balance. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. I mean, intuition is a skill like anything else. And it's not just that some people have it and others don't, but it does require some attention and practice. For some of us, you know, before I really was intentional about building the skill of intuition, it would often talk to me kind of late in the process, like through getting sick or getting super burnt out. And that was a signal that I wasn't really listening to the whispers that were a little more subtle along the way. And so this is something that I think, you know, each person listening, you you can practice, you can tune into um, even there's things like muscle testing. And I talk about this in free time where you can, if you have a question about you want to go to dinner with a certain friend, you receive an invite and, or you, should you launch this thing in your business? You can actually stand up, close your eyes, kind of get grounded and centered in your body. And I like to phrase it as, is it in the highest good for fill in the blank? You know, is it in the highest good for me to say yes to a podcast with Jason? And then your body will naturally lean forward if it's a yes and recoil backward if it's a no. And so I could ask that question and my body leans forward and I go, okay. And you just start to tune into different ways of knowing. You can also look for, I call it serendipity signage where you see things out and about. It's less about, oh, there's a, I mean, we all have different beliefs about what's going on in the spiritual realm, but it's you are noticing, like you are framing a question or grappling with a challenge or a problem. And then you're sort of opening up your awareness to what is coming in to my field, as my friend Penny would call it. She wrote a great book called The Intuitive Way for anyone who wants to get started practicing these types of things. And so I do think that looking at data is helpful but it's not the only way. And sometimes even when you're looking at the data, your intuition might be saying, so it's like, oh, the data says I should, not only the data, the data and my peers say, oh, I should really double down on outbound sales to corporate licensing clients. But in my body, that feels horrible. Like I would rather do anything else. And so it's just enabling 
even those contradictory thoughts to arise, listening to your intuition, even when you don't know what to do about it. And also looking backward at your life and saying, when have I listened to my intuition and what happened as a result? And were there times where you ignored your intuition or you ignored red or yellow flags? And what was the result? Because sometimes looking backward, we can see, oh, okay, yes, I I do receive messages. I do get clues and look at what happens and how do you know what are your form of clues? How do they arrive? And just trying to unpack what your process has been in the past and then practicing in little ways for the future. I've never heard that about the body moving forward or backwards like that. That's a really cool. Yeah. You can also do it by making a little, I don't know, like lobster claw. You, you make a interlocking loops with your thumb and pointer finger and they're connected as, 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 as like links in a chain. And then <laughs> I had a friend, we were, she, we were out to eat at lunch and she was trying to figure out what to order. So she'd go down the list like croquettes and, she, and then the link would break. You know, she would go to every menu item and the link would either stay strong or break, letting her know what she felt like eating that day. <laughs> so that's another form of muscle test. Or if you have a friend, you can put your arm straight out at a perpendicular angle, one arm, and they can press down on it. And if it stays strong, like now I know gender is a construct, but you know, one example would be like, am I a woman? And then they push on my hand. And if my hand stays strong, that's an affirmative. Or, am I a man? And then if my hand, your muscle kind of weakens when something isn't true for you. You mentioned the spiritual realm. I was just wondering what, what that means to you and how that informs your work or your life or your choices. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Tosha Silver's work. She wrote a very whimsical book called Outrageous Openness that I read in 2013, so just a few years after we met. And it helped me release the need to control everything. Because I think a big part of entrepreneurship is dealing with uncertainty. Most of us don't have a paycheck just arriving every two weeks. And people who work for a company have uncertainty too, especially in these kinds of times. They might worry if they get a part of a layoff or a reorg. But it's not quite the same as worrying literally, you know, week to week, month to month, never knowing exactly where the rent or the mortgage is going to come from, unless you have built a completely dialed in automated recurring business, which is probably a small percentage of people listening, myself included. So for me, the spiritual sense is learning to surrender a bit, learning to release my need to control things, trusting in the flow, trusting that people and ideas and opportunities will come my way just as they always have. And I think that that spiritual sense and also connecting, like when I was writing Pivot and Free Time, I was really trying to connect with the collective consciousness. What does everybody need? How can I be of service here? How can I be a messenger for this body of work? And I would even, as a friend advised me, she said, you can even talk to your book. So I would say, what do you need? What do you need to fly? You know, And that would help me figure out what to edit, what to remove, what to add. With free time, this is, you know, I like Pivot was kind of incorporated spiritual principles almost in a Trojan horse kind of way. Like they were, they were woven throughout, but not very explicitly. And that was on purpose. I really wanted it to be a career and business book. And yet they're in there if you look for them. And with free time, I doubled down on that even more because that was something people said that they appreciated in Pivot. And so in free time, there are chapters like 
inviting nonlinear breakthroughs or building your business intuition. I tried to have more fun with the metaphors I was using and the way I was writing about things and embracing that part of myself rather than trying to pretend like it's not a huge part of how I run my business. Right. I love that. It's so the trust thing stood out. When That's so key. You really have to trust, like you said, that it's gonna, things are going to keep rolling in some way. I mean, you end up somewhere. <laughs> you always end up somewhere. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the free time framework because this is another power question that's come up a lot in this show. Are we using our time wisely? I think it's a great question. Am I using my time wisely? A great question to ask yourself. And, you know, in some ways, well, there, there are a lot of things that could mean to somebody, right? Somebody might be optimizing for financial gain that somebody else might be optimizing for freedom, for their heart, for that balance. Uh, and that's a hard balance to find. That's another question with this, you know, finding the balance of freedom and pushing your projects forward. Let's just start with the free time framework and you can talk about what that is and how it can help people. Sure. So if pivot is for mapping what's next, free time is about optimizing what's now. And the primary diagnostic of the book is where are you in friction and where are you in flow? So with pivoting, we're kind of adapting, we're shifting in a new direction, a new related direction based on our strengths and vision. And then free time is asking, okay, within the container of what you're doing now, like for you within zero to travel, for me within my delightfully tiny media company, how do I set my time free through smarter systems? It's really not about efficiency or productivity, like squeezing the most, you know, out of every second of every day and like really rigid planning and systems and routine. The systems, yes, routines, not necessarily. For me, free time is about being present in our time off. That's kind of the noun, our free time, our leisure time. But it's also a verb. Just like with pivoting and intuition building, how do we get increasingly better at freeing our time? And the way we do that is through things like smarter systems. Another way in the business world would be called operational efficiency. It's taking small steps today that will free our time far into the future. So for example, just even a running a household, like putting products that you use regularly on a subscription like toothpaste, you just see, okay, what's the normal cadence that I use this, put it on a subscription, and then it becomes set it and forget it. You never have to remember to buy it again. It's going to arrive at the cadence that your household uses toothpaste. That's a simple example, but there's all kinds of stuff like that in our businesses. And you can even, I mean, the free time framework is align, design, assign. Is the work aligned at all? Is it something you want to stop doing altogether? Or how do you realign yourself with the work? Design is about ideal outcome, the impact you want to have, and designing process. And then a sign is ideally getting all of us out of our comfort zone and doubling how much we delegate. But in doing that, align, design, assign, we're able to free our time and our mind from just the cognitive bandwidth of getting kind of buried in busy work so that we can do more of our best work. I like that you said it's not about productivity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oftentimes these conversations are centered around productivity and, and the hustle factor. I mean, I think the hustle culture is dying a little bit maybe, but maybe I'm just in like a totally different circle than that. I don't know. 
Yeah, for sure. I feel like for a while now, people have been over it. Like this thing, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I mean, I don't even need to mention it here because everyone knows that does none of us any good. In fact, I feel like a perfectly full-time job, if you run your own business, is 20 to 25 hours a week. That's enough. You will be doing enough. It's actually harder to work less when you run your own business. It means you need to be even smarter about systems and delegation. And you can delegate to software. You can automate a lot through software and so that nobody on your team has to do manual repetitive things. So there's a lot of ways to get creative, but that way, yeah, you have the word that keeps coming up is margin. You're just not so, you don't have to be so rigid about what you're going to do when and how much you're going to get done. And I don't even set business goals anymore. <laughs> the other day, someone asked me what my business goals are for the new year. And I just said, I have no clue. Like good things happen. I get big things done. Yes, sometimes I have ideal benchmarks for parts of my business. Or if I want to write a book, obviously, you know, that one could call that a goal, like publish a book by X date. But otherwise, I just personally haven't found it all that helpful to have really rigid goals. But that's partly because I work for myself and by myself. I have one part-time team member and then we a podcast production team. But that's it. And so I'm not really, I know if some people, if you have employees or you have a bigger business, you do need goals because that's what has everybody moving in the same direction together. Each person knows what they're driving toward. But in my business, they haven't been that helpful. I just become weirdly obsessed and then disappointed if I don't hit them. And yet other good things have happened. And that goes back to the trust piece. I just kind of trust that things are unfolding as they should be. And I know when things are no longer aligned and I'll make adjustments. I don't really need to set a goal in order to do that. Again, not deriding goals in any way, but set them if you want and set them when it's helpful. But that's just an example of what my friend Stephen Shapiro, he wrote a book called Goal-Free Living. And it's just an interesting thing to play with. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, 
on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Do you see as an, an intention as a different thing? Um, yeah, I mean, you can have an intention for anything you do. Like in free time, I talk about Oprah. She read Gary Zukov's Seed of the Soul, which is a great book as well on that kind of spiritual aspects of all this. And after reading it, she decided that she would set an intention for every single guest and every single episode of the Oprah Winfrey show. So she wouldn't just have somebody on because they were a big celebrity. It would be, what is our intention in inviting this guest? What do we want our viewers to get out of this conversation? And so I'm probably a little less active with, um, you know, setting intentions for everything I do, maybe less than she is, but I'm very inspired by that. And I do think that it's really important when you're launching creative things into the world. Probably it comes in most these days with definitely my two podcasts, but Rolling in Dough, it's because it's more personal, my intention is always to serve the reader. So I'm trying to walk that line of not having it be a diary, but still opening up and being vulnerable. And so my intention is to help fellow business owners feel less alone, especially when things aren't going well. Because I feel like a lot of people in online business share the good things, like, here's how I made seven figures, and now it's eight figures, and now it's a billion dollars. But I see so much less of people sharing the gnarlier parts, especially when they're still in process. Part of that is that you have to kind of take off the expert hat because that's been a big relief for me this year. I don't have any interest in being an expert on how to earn X amount of money in a year. That's not my strength to tell someone exactly how to do that because I don't, I don't care about the number if it means doing things that aren't aligned or giving money to companies that I'm not aligned with. And so that's where I think intention setting is really helpful. Like who are you trying to serve? And that is becomes a lens to kind of review the work before it goes live for me. Thinking about this trifecta of goals, intention, and ideas, or, or maybe goals and intentions slash intentions or and or intentions culminating into an idea or a vision. And, you know, from the planning stage or, or somebody's, you know, making a pivot or they're trying to figure out the next thing and they want to start somewhere. And I, I totally appreciate what you're saying about not having goals because I've had goals that I've been disappointed by and I've, it's this tough balance, right? Because you want to have a vision and you want to have it sort of documented and out into the universe, let's say. But at the same time, you don't want to set yourself up for disappointment or like failure is okay, but you don't want to overreach. And and then when you're in that idea phase and trying to come up with the the concept of a new project or a new lifestyle or whatever it is, how do you balance everything you just shared with, you know, putting it together into an idea that like, do you challenge people like, oh, that idea is not big enough. You got to think bigger. How do you advise people in that stage? Well, I guess it just depends, you know, again, thinking bigger in service of what. So if I am coaching someone or talking to a friend, I can kind of hear in their voice if their energy is dropping, let's say specifically around money. I always like to ask when people are setting goals and intentions around how much money would be joyful to earn in their business. I always ask for three numbers, the minimum needed to pay your bills, nice to have and jump out of bed with glee. 
And the reason that's important is that most people will kind of answer with what they feel is safe, the minimum needed. This would be acceptable. But they don't have any fire in their belly or they don't have any joy in their voice. So, okay, tell me what's nice to have. Okay, now what is gleeful? What would just have you absolutely elated if you were earning this amount one year from now? And then they might tell me and I'll say, I'll listen even then to the tone in their voice and I'll say, how about we double that? You know, not to be obnoxious, but just I listened for the clues. Like, did they really go big enough for themselves in a way of what connecting to that joyful, spacious, abundant number? For me, my orienting inquiry around business that I share in free time is when I left Google, I was always asking, what if I fail? What if I, you know, go broke? Okay, that's fine. 5149. But the 51 question is, but what if I earn twice as much in half the time? And over the years, it evolved because I don't just care about earning money if I'm miserable doing it. So what if I earn twice as much in half the time with joy and ease while serving the highest good? So I would ask somebody if they were making a ginormous goal or like, go big. Yes, just ask, like, is that size goal, does it fit with joy and ease while serving the highest good? And like with free time, when it was coming out, I thought I needed to do something like that. I'm like, let's set 50 million hours free. I want to sell a million copies. And I was really excited about that idea. I didn't come anywhere close. (laughs) And so I'm not saying don't set goals because if you don't reach them, you will be disappointed and that's unbearable. I fail all the time. I get rejected all the time. It's just that don't set goals that aren't like coming from the inside out. Don't set goals that are based on shiny shoulds, based on what you think you should do or what, quote, everyone else is doing. I call it sometimes the business police. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. I know that a subset of listeners here either have or are interested in, depending on where they are in life, a a gap year or some type of career break where they hit pause and go traveling for a year or something like that. Since you've been working with career development for so long, how do you advise somebody that has that idea, uh, how they should move forward or approach it? What are your thoughts around that? Um, Approach it in, in what sense? Just clarify a little more. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of fear attached to that, right? If you're going to take a break in your career, you know, is this even going to, what I want to do when I come back? Am I going to be able to get back into the career? There, there, there's a lot that goes on. I think when people consider this, even though they know in their soul, they need a break, they want to travel, but then they have to come back. <laughs> to I something. know it's so hard. Well, I would recommend DJ Dodona's work. He has something called the sabbatical project. We did an episode of free time that you can put in the show notes. And then my friend, Melanie, She's running a substack called An Accidental Sabbatical, where she's talking about phasing out of a full-time job, but not being as intentional and prescribed, just kind of feeling a little lost and in the messy middle of her own career reinvention. So I think what I would encourage if someone's unsure, you it is important to take smart risks and not risks that are going to blow up your life if they don't work out. And I've done both. In Pivot, I share the riskometer. There's your comfort zone. There's even a stagnation zone. You're so comfortable, you're bored out of your mind, which might be the type of person you're describing for this question. There's the stretch zone where things feel edgy, but exciting and compelling. But if you try to do something too risky or too big, 
that might send you into your panic zone where you're just gripped by fear and anxiety and compare and despair and you suddenly can't do anything at all. So I would say everyone's going to have a different position. I'm not sure right now in this economy. No, I wouldn't leave a job that if I needed it to pay the bills and I didn't have a second salary in the household, you know, no, I, I personally, if you ask me right now, I wouldn't, I would try to see, okay, can I stack two weeks of vacation together? Can I work from another office location of the same company? Like I've had friends be super energized by working out of the Italy office for two weeks or three weeks. So sometimes you can also get permission to travel while not having to make as dramatic moves in your day job. Now, if you have enough runway to quit your current job, and that's what your instinct, your intuition is telling you to do, and if you're not able to find the next job for six or eight months after you get back from your travels, you know, go for it. (laughs) It's just, I've had coaching clients, it takes a long time sometimes, and sometimes it takes a short time. So I would never want to tell someone, oh, it's going to take eight months to find a new role. It might take you eight days. But if you're not sure, and it would make you utterly panicked and despondent, if it did take eight months, then scale it back a little bit. I think I read somewhere you have a happiness formula. Do you care to share? That was an exercise and pivot of just encouraging people to come up with your individual happiness formula. What are the ingredients? Now, there's been so many books like Miracle Morning or, you know, books on habit stacking. Even, of course, the mega bestseller Atomic Habits. For me, the happiness formula is just knowing what brings you alive and also when are you at your creative and energetic best. So protect your time for your most creative and strategic work. Don't do emails. Like I do not check emails first thing in the morning because, or late at night. I know it will make me anxious and I won't be able to think about my deeper work, my bigger projects. So I give myself permission. I don't even look at email most days certainly not reply to anything until 11 or 12. And there are some days I don't look at it at all. But some people might feel mortified imagining that, oh my God, I can't imagine if I didn't even look at my inbox for 24 hours. But try it, see what happens. You might feel so much happier if you stop looking at email after 3 p.m. And then nothing kind of infects the nighttime, your dreams with anxious thoughts of someone you need to get back to or something you forgot. It's like most things can wait until the next day. I think it's so truly urgent. And if it is urgent, it's probably a family member who will call or text you. You can have different protocol for that. Amen. Right now, my inbox, 34,471. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, wow, I love it. I think it. it's just, I actually never look at the number. Some of that, that would drive somebody crazy. But I just, yeah, you have to ignore certain things in order to do, like you said, the deeper work. And it's important to identify. Well, how do you coach people on identifying what the deeper work is? I think everything we've talked about is a good good places to start. And I also think that giving ourselves permission to lean into that work means often saying no to other things or making trade-offs. Like on the email topic, I don't care if people think I'm good at email or fast at email. It's not important to me. In fact, I always joke when I'm corresponding with people that I put the snail back into email. And that's just how I am. So for me, a normal response time is two weeks, plus or minus. Sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's less, but I 
I don't want to be good at email. If I am known for responding within an hour, what else am I dropping in the rest of my day or my business? Same thing with social media. I've stopped actively posting 10 years ago, even though it brought me so many wonderful people in the early days, it became this death by a thousand cuts thing. So if I'm responding to small little messages all day and trying to craft my own small little messages, whether on Twitter or X or LinkedIn or Instagram, what I'm not doing is writing deep personal essays or writing my next book. I don't think I would have written free time if I was just keeping up with all my various inboxes. So I give myself permission to run my business entirely without social media and to be slow at responding to texts and emails. And it I don't care if people think that that's a problem because I know that right now I'm creating 14 podcast episodes a month. I create eight rolling in dough essays and I have a weekly free time essay and a twice monthly pivot. I wouldn't be doing any of that if I instead prioritized a fast response time or being on all the places. Right. Dang, that's impressive, Jenny. <laughs> well done. And that's working 20 to 25 hours a week and with one part-time yeah. assistant and a podcast team. So it's like also a very lean team. I don't have any full-time employees, including me. And I'm not saying it to brag. I'm just saying it to say, it's possible. It's possible. And through the stuff we've talked about, through systems, through software, yes, for sure. And through being like, making these trade-offs. Switching gears a little bit. I was wondering if you could share one of your most transformative travel experiences, just whatever gut reaction thing comes to mind. I would say it was probably 2013. So two out, two years after leaving Google, going to visit my friend in Ubud, Bali. It was so just the smells and the cafes and the culture and the just Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel it's so cliche to say it. It's so eat, pray, love. I'm cringing as I say it. And yet it made such an impression on me. She was working from there for Tropical MBA. And it was just the first time that I really took advantage of running my business from anywhere. And I went for two and a half months to Ubud, Bali, and then Chiang Mai. And I was afraid. I was worried that my coaching clients would cancel because, oh, maybe the Wi-Fi is bad or I wouldn't be able to connect or I wouldn't work out the time zone thing. So I was actually really afraid to do it then. Now internet is much faster. There's co-working spaces in all kinds of cities around the world. But 10 years ago, it wasn't obvious that it wouldn't negatively impact my business in a major way. And instead, I found the opposite. I thrived. Speaking of email, the states are asleep during the day when you're in Southeast Asia. So it's so incredible. I was reaching inbox zero every day because I could just do an email sprint in the morning and then nothing would come in the rest of the day. So it really showed me as well the power of batching and just, oh my gosh, I felt so free. I felt so just happy and connecting with other people who were doing these kinds of lifestyle experiments. It was truly such a highlight. That's great. I ha I remember having a similar experience, same year being in Southeast Asia and uh, just being afraid to tell some of my corporate clients for one of the businesses I was running at the time. And then just being like, well, who cares? This is, this is the point of having your own business. Just share what you want and be authentic. So what? I'm in Cambodia now. Like, will they actually care? And it, it turns out you just, they, they remember you more. It's <laughs> just like, oh, that's cool. You know, and it, it's, it can actually be an advantage. So I love that 
you share that. I know we're coming to the end here. I was wondering if you have, you've mentioned a lot of resources today, so I don't want to pick your brain any more books, but if there is one life-changing book that you want to share or another resource that you find helpful, please share where everybody can find you or the best places to go and things like that. Sure. Well, if I had to recommend only one book, I would recommend Outrageous Openness. That book really changed my life when I read it. You can find the personal essays. Well, actually, what's cool about Substack is that everything I do across all three content areas of the business are on one feed now, which is a miracle. So you can go to substack.com slash at Jenny Blake and just see everything. The newsletters, the podcasts, it's all there in one place, one feed, which I love. And if you want to learn more about free time, you can visit itsfreetime.com and search for free time with Jenny Blake, wherever you're listening to this one or pivot with Jenny Blake. Those are my two shows. Nice. Do you have one thing you'd like to be remembered by at this point in your life or some kind of legacy project or any, is that something you think about or believe in? Yeah, I feel, you know, my books, every time I publish a book, I feel like, okay, it's okay if I die because I put everything I had into this and it's now existing in the world. So those are, those are really the legacy projects that I'm very proud of. And I think the, you know, I keep mentioning rolling in dough because it's really seems to be striking a nerve and I'm so grateful that people say, thank you so much for this, or thank you for putting words, or I feel less alone. So the thing that I really appreciate being remembered by is just being a positive, a positive source of joy or relief or inspiration, or even sharing a, like we did talking about free time systems or tools to help other people feel less burdened or less alone or less stressed. That really means so much to me. And like you, what you shared, Jason, even at the start, it means so much like that those comments and those interactions we had carried forward over 10 years. And then now we're here having another conversation and just the ability to transcend time and space through this work is so meaningful and so special. So I'm very grateful to you for making this happen all that time later. Well, I'm super grateful that you took the time to be on this show here today and share all of your knowledge and experience and can't thank you enough. And maybe we can not let 10 years go by again before we do something else like this. <laughs> yes. Sounds great. <laughs> thanks, Jenny. Thank you so much, Jason. And big thanks to everybody who's here listening. Cheers. There you have it. Thank you once again to Jenny Blake. She is incredible, and she's got that, and you could just tell she cares. She's got that thing. There's some people that are running these businesses, going through the motions. It's not Jenny. She's been doing this for a long time, and it, it, you can feel the strength of her why and that she really cares. So I appreciate that about her, and I appreciate her taking the time to come on the show. She has a podcast as well, as I mentioned at the top, so we'll be sure to link to all of her newsletters and, and books and websites and <laughs> podcasts and everything here in the show notes if you want to hear more from her. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a quote, but first I want to give a shout out to a listener whose story I think illustrates why this topic of pivoting is so important to keep in mind for the lifelong travel lover, and this is for Aaron. The subject was just saying hi and thanks 
said, hey, Jason, Aaron from Melbourne, Australia here. Traveled through Europe in January. Definitely caught the travel bug. I've been loving the podcast this year while feeling trapped. Completing my final year of university has given me plenty of ideas for my future as well as calming me down while feeling unsure of what I want to do with my life. Thank you for the kind words. Goes on to say, I finished my civil engineering course last week and have been given a good paying job with a 50K car to use as my own and playing footy at a semi-elite level. However, like so many people you have spoken to, it isn't for me, so I'm working until March to save some money, then leaving my job and my sporting career. I do have the privilege of being able to come back to my job if I would like. I am catching a one-way flight by myself to Central America, currently trying to learn a bit of Spanish. I plan to do three months there, and then I'm booked for three months in Maryland. I will see if I'm homesick or broke after this (laughs) to see what I do next. And goes on to say, thanks for the great podcast. So Aaron, thank you for sharing your story. Just wanted to give you a shout out. Congratulations. You know, not easy to turn away from the from the life that you have, right? And choose travel sometimes. You know, it doesn't mean that everything we have going on is bad. It just means maybe travel is more of the fit for what we want right now in our lives, which comes back to the interview today and all of the a lot of the subjects we discussed, I should say, a lot of the themes around pivoting and making changes. It's good to have an awareness around this and whether it's some of Jenny's systems that she mentioned today or some other ideas that you get wherever, kind of being aware when you're in those moments of pivoting or transitioning and coming up with a with a system or at least just considering the space that you're in and giving yourself some slack and understanding that, okay, all of the effort or, or perhaps some of the fears you need to conquer and some of the difficult challenges that you need to overcome when you make a pivot in life, you're going to have to do it again and again and again because if you pivot to a life of travel or a nomad life or whatever, eventually you're going to have to pivot out of it into something else because that generally doesn't last forever. And then it's on to the next thing. And we're constantly trying to figure stuff out. So that's why I thought this was really important because as a lifelong traveler, you might be pivoting back and forth between extended travel and extended stays at home or something in between many times throughout your life. I know I certainly have been going from, you know, being a nomad to not being a nomad to going on tour again to coming back home and trying to settle down to moving overseas to being a digital nomad. And then, you know, some of those orders are mixed up, but you get the idea. And it's just change, right? It's the one constant in life. One of the many constants, changes, taxes, you know, all that good stuff. So for what it's worth, just wanted to share that story and just a little reminder that you can give yourself some grace when you're in pivot mode because we're going to be in and out of them, all of us, throughout our lives, transitioning, pivoting, whatever term you want to use. So go easy on you. Maybe you needed to hear that today. Maybe not. I don't know. Either way, (laughs) there you go. Okay. Let me leave you with a quote. First, a reminder, zero-to-travel.com slash newsletter. What? You're not on the newsletter list? Go sign up over there. We got some exciting stuff coming out for the new year and perhaps a community trip coming up. If you want to hear more about that, you got to be on the newsletter. All the things happening off the podcast are on the newsletter, which is free. You just sign up over there. Go ahead and do that. Now, leave it with a couple quotes. I thought, why not leave you with quotes from Jenny Blake? 
These are both from her book, Pivot. First one, you can learn to enjoy calculated risk and uncertainty in exchange for adventure, flexibility, freedom, and opportunity. Love that. And secondly, this was a message Jenny saw tacked to a tree by monks in at a 700-year-old temple in Thailand. And it said, quote, cut yourself some slack. Remember, 100 years from now, all new people. <laughs> Let that one sink in. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to your and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.